0: Welcome to Southern Steep. Southern Steep is the public health and social justice podcast that centers the voices of community leaders in the Southern United States. Conversations highlight innovative approaches to unapologetic leadership, meaningful partnerships, and thriving communities. I'm Isaiah Webster, and I'm joined by Nicole Elenoff. Hello, Nicole.
1: Hey, Isaiah. It's so good to be here.
0: You know, I finally got away from Torian and Bianca to do my first podcast with you, and I'm kind of excited and kind of nervous.
1: You know, I just feel like this is a big opportunity, and I'm a little nervous as well, being with the Isaiah Webster.
0: So I hope that I won't add extra nerves to you, because I feel like you have kind of, not deserved, but kind of uh, developed this good rapport with Torian. And so my goal in this podcast is to dethrone him and take that, take that positioning.
1: Oh, it started.
0: <laughs> so, if you're listening to this podcast, just a quick shout out to Nastad. Uh, this podcast is brought to you by Nastad, uh, which is a nonprofit and nonpartisan public health organization in Washington, D.C. Nicole and I both work at Nastad as a part of the prevention team, and you can learn more about Nastad at nastad.org. That's n-a-s-t-a-d dot org. Nicole, I'm really excited for today's guest because we both know him, and this is unique for the podcast that we've been recording thus far. Um, And we kind of know him in, I think, different ways, and we can get into how you know him in just a sec. But first, I guess I can maybe introduce him.
1: You know, please do. (laughs)
0: So Neil Rafferty is the director for BCHIP, which is the Birmingham Comprehensive High Impact Prevention at Birmingham AIDS Outreach, or BAO, in Birmingham, Alabama. He's also a member of the Alabama House of Representatives, specifically representing District 54. I met Neil, I think, was it last year or the year before? um, one of my colleagues and I went down to Birmingham in response to a technical assistance request that he had, uh, submitted and NASDAQ was able to kind of learn more about BAO and some of the work that, that Neil does. So Neil, did I get my timeline correct? And did I get your, like who you are correct?
2: Yes, I think you did. So yeah, so you came down to do the, um, the the C, but I think that was in 2019. That was definitely before COVID and everything. Um, but yeah, you got you got everything right. I think we, uh, we're on the right track here.
0: So welcome. So we're very happy to have you here. When I mentioned to Nicole in one of our production meetings that I thought you'd be an excellent person to have on, she lit up like a Christmas tree. She got very uh-huh. excited. And I was like, you know, Neil, she's like, of course I know Neil. So <laughs> I don't know who wants to answer this first. How do you all know each other?
1: So oh, it was the, it was USCA before it was USCHA, I believe in 2017 in Washington DC or no, or was it, we, we were at a conference. Was it the biomedical one in Los Angeles? No. Well, it was in Los
2: Angeles. It was definitely DC. Um, it was after, it, if was if it was the AIDS United. Am I been, was it 2018?
1: No, because that one was in Orlando. I think okay, it was. Okay, gotcha. Um, so I remember meeting you at the AIDS United happy hour cocktail function for those that have been funded through them. And I was invited as a plus one and we got to talking and then we ended up going out to dinner after, and this was right before (laughs) you were officially the representative in Alabama. And I remember we talked Mm -hmm. about that and just thinking about, you were like getting really passionate about the South and about Birmingham and Mm -hmm. I just remember <laughs> it. I just remember it being like a really fun evening, um, and it was a really good conversation. So when Isaiah mentioned your name, I'm like, we absolutely need to talk to him again.
2: <laughs> yeah, I think that's. It. I do remember that night. That night was a good night. Uh, that one it bled over from that party into the uh, the next uh, the the hotel restaurant sports bar restaurant. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It was at that same time.
0: <clears throat> So it's really interesting. I've only been working with Nicole since the spring, but I am in, always in awe of all of the movers and shakers she knows, particularly in the South. And so it's not surprising to me in the least that she knows people all over the Southern United States. That's, I mean, that's really cool. So Neil, I wanted to start with a little bit about your personal background, particularly, um, I don't know if you know this or not, or if you remember, but I'm originally from Louisiana. And I feel like Southerners always have their own kind of story about, um, about their upbringing or their South or kind of how the South defines them. I I don't know very much about, about if you're from Alabama or if you settled there. So can we just start with, um, were you born and raised in Alabama? uh, And and what was that like?
2: Yeah, sure. Um, I was born and raised here in Alabama um, to a uh, Roman Catholic family. And, um, yeah, I, 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 you know, I grew up, I remember wanting nothing more than to, to get out of the South when I was growing up, but then um, realizing, you know, just how awesome and beautiful this, this place can be, um, through it's people, it's culture, it's uh, history, you know, it's as uh, dark and, and um, problematic as it, you know, perhaps it can be. I think uh, that a beautiful thing about it is that we kind of take ownership of that here, I feel. Um, in a way that, unlike uh, other parts of the, the United States or the the world do. Um, so, um, you know, this is, you know, my home. I have lived here my my whole life. I'm now 35 years old. So now I'm a 35 year old Alabamian. I've been here the whole time. So, with a you know- couple with well, a couple little excursions out there, but but nothing nothing big. This is always home.
0: So one of the things that I find really interesting about Alabama in particular is the imprint that it has on American history, particularly in the civil rights struggle. So there's Birmingham, there's Selma, there's all of these really kind of indelible moments that happened in Alabama. Um, I wanted to know kind of what you thought about Alabama writ large and like the story of the South and the story of our country.
2: Well, uh, so I think William Faulkner said to understand the world, you need to understand a place like Mississippi. And I think he meant, um, you know, I think we could say something very similar to, to Alabama. Um, the thing is, is that Alabama is, uh, an old place. It's been around for a long time and <laughs> has a lot of, uh, different people here, um, who all mesh together, uh, conflict, grind against each other, all sorts of things. So, um, I think uh, understanding, um, particularly some of the uh, defining issues of the day, you really do need to understand a place place like Alabama.
0: So. And if you didn't live in Alabama, where else would you live?
2: I don't know. I mean, that's that's hard for me to know because you know my family's here, my husband's family's here, everyone you know, my friends are here, all my network, you know, a lot of my you know, my roots run deep in this, in this state. Um, but if I could live anywhere else, I don't know. Possibly. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe, you know, uh, Texas or something. I don't know. Someplace like the warm. I still like I like warm.
0: You <laughs> could ingratiate <laughs> yourself to Nicole by saying Florida.
2: Oh, uh, Florida. Yes. Well, Florida is a place where we go to visit. So. <laughs>
1: And then you leave. (laughs) Not a lot (laughs) of
2: just kidding. Um, I love all my Floridian friends out there. Y'all are gonna get me in trouble. That's what y'all are getting.
0: getting (laughs) Well, we hope so. (laughs) Um when I first met you, Neil, and and I and and I came down to Birmingham, I wasn't super clear about the difference between BAO and BCHIP and and kind of sure. like how the collaboration works. And so maybe we could just start there. If you could, um, okay. for our listeners, kind of differentiate between the Birmingham uh, AIDS Outreach and then the specific collaboration collaborative that, that you kind of direct.
2: Sure. So uh, Birmingham AIDS Outreach is uh, Birmingham's oldest ASO or AIDS service organization. It started in 1985. Um, I think we've still been in the same building here uh, that, that whole time. Um, the city of Birmingham did donate or allow us to have this building rent-free as long as we were providing HIV prevention services. And we haven't stopped doing that since then. Um, it was an AmeriCorps industry, you know, AmeriCorps, um, agency and that kind of thing as well. Um, let's see now. DAO has grown. So when I started here in 2012, I started here as a, a volunteer. Um, it's grown from around, I think, 10 people to now an agency of that's over 54 people. Um, I don't have a number, exact number on my head, but I know it's a, it's a, it's a much larger um, agency than it was when I first started here. Um, let's see... So BAO is its, BAO's it's owned and BAO is incorporated. Uh, with that is the HIV prevention services testing. We provide client services, um, including assistance with uh, medication, uh, groceries, uh, animals, spay, neuter, uh, and food there too. Um, there's, uh, we have the Medic City Wellness Center, which is under the umbrella of BAO Inc., which is a, uh, LGBTQ friendly and affirming, uh, primary care facility. Um, we also have the magic city, um, acceptance center, which is a, uh, center for LGBTQ people started out primarily focusing on youth and youth services. and still largely is, but there are, um, programs for adults and that kind of thing as well. Um, and then, uh, we just got, um, the Magic City Excellence Academy, which will be a charter school for um, for for kids here, um, that just started, but that is a, a very new ordeal, um, and I don't feel qualified to speak on that too much, <laughs> so <laughs> <laughs> um, because it is so new um, to the agency. Um, BChip, right? That's the next question. That was a real question. BChip yes. is Birmingham Comprehensive Impact Prevention. That is, so we are the lead agency with that. And what that does is, uh, lead agency, we have two contracted agencies with AIDS Alabama, as well as Aletheia House here in Birmingham. Um, And we provide a uh, whole host of services for HIV prevention that's targeted towards the um, African-American community, uh, particularly um, the MSM community and straight black women. collaborative has been made possible because there is a lot of, uh, there's the uh, HIV, uh, Jefferson County, HIV and AIDS community coalition here. Um, So it brings all the stakeholders to the same table that might be operating here. And then it helps us support each other without replicating or um, services or duplicating services and, you know, makes an efficient and effective way of spending money. Because, you know, anybody that works in nonprofit knows there's not tons of money out there. There's always a limited number of resources. So this is our way of uh, working together um, while emphasizing, you know, our strengths, that kind of thing.
0: How many organizations are a part of B-CHIP?
2: There are three that are officially part of B-CHIP. That is us, Ace Alabama, and uh,
0: Alicia House. And how do you keep the... Um, the territorialism, the the natural kind of competition between the organizations at bay. And I asked that because, you know, in the work that Nicole and I do with CBOs in the South, uh, part of the challenge of really successful collaborations is putting aside what is important to one and focusing what on what might be important for the collective.
2: And I think that that's what it and I think that that's exactly kind of the fr- uh, frame of mind we had when we were going into applying for um, for the grant was that, you know, we can't all um, we need to do this together. Um, it would just make a more competitive thing. We would all be able to benefit from it um, because we'd all be able to hire staff and, and and support programming that we might not have been able to do without that collaboration. Um, and what we do is you, know, you got to make sure that you're all talking to each other. So, like I said, we do have the coalition, but there's also the HIV Prevention Network, um, which has more frontline staff um, who can all meet and work with each other. Uh, and we have an annual meeting where all, all these stakeholders get together to review some topics, some updates with HIV in the, in the area. But then it's primarily a networking event. So that... Um, If my case manager here at BCHIP is new but doesn't necessarily know the linkage to care coordinator at um, the, at the 1917 clinic, um, it's a great way for them to know each other, exchange numbers so that they can provide a a more effective um, navigation to the, to the client um, and through the, through the linkage to care process as well as the linkage to services and other supportive um, and essential services. So, um, I think the, what we do is we just keep on talking. We just make sure that we, um, are on the same page with each other. Um, for example, AIDS Alabama does a lot of housing. Okay. So they work a lot with housing. So BAO doesn't really hit on the housing issue too much because we already know AIDS Alabama is doing that. Olivia house does a lot of substance abuse work. So we don't really, we hit on mental health. All three of them do. and uh, there's certain capacities, but, um, but Leaky House is already kind of uh, taking the lead and, and, and really is, is working on that, that substance abuse issue. So um, that's just one way that we make sure that we're not duplicating services, you know, by supporting those agencies and doing those already um, while uh, getting that same support back in order to do the things that we're good at. Um, so we do nutrition and, and food and uh, a lot of stuff like that. We have a, a lot of funding for providing household goods, um, household cleaning items, that kind of stuff, uh, as well as fresh meat, vegetables, um, dairy products, all sorts of stuff. And then a cooking class on top of that for them. So that's what we're, what we're doing. Um, you know, that's kind of what we can, uh, one of our strong suits that we're able to contribute to that, to, to that collaborative.
1: I think it's so incredible that you all are able to build this infrastructure where you're able to do more of those warm handoffs for linkage because we know that when you know the person that you're linking them to and you're able to develop that relationship, it's more of a successful linkage. Um instead of so right. like just go and talk to that person, I don't know anything about them. Um, I think it's really great that you all have this formalized coalition. Uh, Isaiah was mentioning this to me, and I had no idea that you were working on this. And I think it's so great because the reality of fighting for funds is very real. And when you're able to collaborate on grants like this, you're more successful of an outcome. Um, I remember back in 2015 in Central Florida, like there was such a slash of funds in this area because there wasn't that built that collaboration when going to apply for some of those uh those funds. And it ended up hurting the area. So I yeah. guess, you know, you're describing an example of like collaboration that's successful for this the safety or the health of organizations and the better outcomes for the people y'all serving.
2: Absolutely. Um, that, 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 that's it. hundred percent. I can say we're, we're very fortunate to have that here. I cannot say that it's um, always perfect. Of course, there's, uh, you know, certain tensions and stuff like that. You still have to, to navigate and be able to um, reconcile and that kind of thing. But Like I said, it's just part of keeping up, you know, keeping, keeping the communication open. I think um, making sure uh, everybody's working together. And that's part of a part of, of a plan to tackle HIV epidemic um, in the whole area um, without running over each other, stepping on each other's feet or anything like that. So,
1: So you mentioned ending the HIV epidemic, and I'm going to use this opportunity to pivot a little bit um, to, you know, what we have been hearing nonstop about the EHE plan, and that's community engagement. And so my question for you, you mentioned um, the incredible drop-in space um, that's affirming for LGBTQ folks, but can you share a little bit about you know, successes that you all have had with reaching gay men, um, what, what's been successful and then maybe some specific challenges.
2: So there's a couple of things that, that we uh, make sure that we do in order so that uh, the outreach is effective. Um, for one thing, we do have a community advisory board, um, that we do seek, uh, input and direction from. Um, we also have a, uh, we, ha- we hire definitely um, to do our best to, to hire from the community, um, make sure that we're supporting the community that way. Uh, we make sure that we um, are hosting. So, you know, we posted a couple of, of large events. They've been buck battles or balls or mini balls or some sort of event like that that can really reach out to that community. What I do is usually get somebody who already knows how to, how to do that very well. I work out the details, the budget, help them out with that and then say, all right, go forward. (laughs) You know, like, because I don't know anything about throwing any of that stuff. Um, I love going to them, I love working to them, Uh, but as far as how to throw it, how to get all the the people there to to do it and compete, that is um, not my expertise. So I think part of it's also understanding your own limitations, where you are. Yes, I mean, I might be the director of the program, but I'm really here to to help support that staff and, and, and being able to throw those kinds of events. Um, not necessarily dictate what happens at those events, everything, just kind of give a framework, help out with the budget, that kind of stuff and, and then um move out of the way. <laughs>
1: so so I have a follow-up uh-huh. question. You mentioned an event before you mentioned the balls. Uh-huh. Yes. Buck, buck battle. battle. Can you, can you explain, can you unpack what that so event buck, is? Can you buck Battle that?
2: is a dance competition with, with, dance team specifically um and we get them from all over the state and sometimes the region too i think last one we had um we had people from memphis as well as atlanta here too um and what it is is just a dance competition there's different categories you have captain against captain you have team wide you kind of have a um then you have like actual where you're just uh, each team performs individually, then they kind of feed off of each other's energy through a competition through that way, um, and that that's really what it is. There's a lot of j-stepping. Uh, that, there's a lot of that kind of technique uh, and dance move in there, um, but it's not just that. It's not uh, you know exclusively that. It's uh, it's always fun to see how creative people can get with that um, because you know I've seen somebody. I remember one person who was definitely classically trained dancer like you could tell they were classically trained the way they were i mean i don't even know what the mood to call but throwing the, you know like doing I don't, I don't even know i can't i, I don't know <laughs> what. <laughs> but it looked like some ballet moves but then also mixed in but they were just well integrated into um a more hip-hop uh J stepping uh routine so it was, it, was, it was great to see that <clears throat>
0: So Neil, before I'm sorry, Nicole, so before Nicole asked you that question, you were talking about balls, and I thought you were very your answer was very clear, but now I'm curious if you were going to enter a ball <laughs> which category would you enter and then I'll make another comment after you say that.
2: oh shoot, I don't know. I have no idea like I don't even know how the I don't, I don't know so, something I, get, I don't know I got it. <laughs> Wish I could
0: come. Wish I could answer that for you. So the reason I so you know, obviously the listeners can't see this, but we're actually recording it and I can see Neil's face and you have like a full beard today. I don't know if you normally have a full beard. But Nicole, I was thinking that Neil could do like Butch Realness, maybe.
1: (laughs) I definitely see Butch Realness, absolutely, but also yeah, butch realness. (laughs)
0: That would be (laughs) it. All right.
1: 10,
2: I'll write ten, I'll 10. Write that down. That's why I have my notebook out. Isaiah. I was just I write <laughs> that down. Right.
1: Well, and also to write down the you know, Southern Steep podcast, you gotta listen. You gotta listen. Well, yeah, you know, you know.
2: I I wrote down the Brewing Stronger Community. <laughs> I like
1: that. <sighs> um, so these events, you like you were discussing them that they have been successful. They have been,
2: yes. Um we get tremendous uh, a good, you know, they grow, um, time after time. Um, you know, but you're going to have failures. You're going to have ones that, you know, either you didn't mark it out, you know, mark it right. Um, but you have to learn from what you did the first time and then, uh, uh, you know, adapt and make sure you have, uh, all those bases covered for the next time. Um, but my experience with them is that they've just grown from year to year event to event. Um, with more participation uh, and more enthusiasm, that kind of surrounds surrounds it. I think a lot of people are pretty weary, and I get that there's a historical relationship there that can be a problem too, where um, you know they might not want to participate in an event that is sponsored by, you know, beach up and a uh, HIV testing and HIV and all that kind of you know HIV awareness, um, but once you kind of clear the way build up those uh those relationships and um develop that trust and they know it's you know it's real that you're you're not just uh, pulling a chain it's not that we just want you to come in here to test you we want to co- you to come in here and enjoy yourself even if you don't get tested just come in and enjoy yourself um and then if you want to get tested down the road you know then we're open to that but like you know you'll have the information for that if if, if you decide when it's ready for you so
1: one of the earliest lessons that i learned when coming into the hiv work is that you really need to develop a relationship before the public health can happen mm-hmm. and yeah. i think that sometimes organizations are so quick to just hitting the numbers that they're not really looking at people as people and developing that relationship um you mentioned like sti- you mentioned stigma as um, a challenge, but, you know, being in a, like a rural area and a rural region, what are some other challenges that you all have experienced when engaging the LGBTQ plus community um, just in general?
2: Well, so I think I have a couple of thoughts about that. I mean, the, the first one is that, you know, I operate largely in the, the, the metro area here in Birmingham um, but we've done a lot of work in rural areas. And I think it's important, particularly with stigma, is you know you got to realize there's a time to do the education bit and try to address stigma directly and try to eliminate it. and there's a certain and but there's also a time to circumvent it and try to work, meet people where they are um, in their particular social situation and just make sure that you're providing the best best services possible um i think that's kind of an art for people that in, in our you know position to, to kind of figure out how to to dance with those two um those two goals and realize which one's more important at that that at any given moment um i'll say for for one thing you know i did used to do outreach testing in the black belt which is a very rural part of alabama it's one of the poorest parts of the country um and i went down there with a uh uh, an already very well established um, uh, like mobile testing clinic that's run out of a church here uh, with Dr. Sandra Ford, who's amazing, by the way. Um, but she, you know, I asked her if she would be okay with me coming down there and providing HIV testing, and she said, "Sure, come on, yeah. <laughs> sure, whatever." And I remember the first time we did it, we set up um, our testing table along with all the other stuff. So, and as people were going through, you know, you went to you know your your nutrition. Counselor, person—you you could go to a dentist, all this other stuff. It was all kind of open air, and we were at the very end. And we noticed that as soon as people got to us, it was done. Like, just turn around and leave. There was no more um, working. You know, they—you know—they—they they got everything that they thought that they needed, and they didn't even want to be seen, possibly, t- talking to us. Well, you know, this was pretty easily dealt with because all I did was just you know, talk to Doctor Ford. I was like, okay, so I think we have an issue here with people participating or, you know, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Or just, you know, taking advantage of, of this service that's provided here and that, that's needed. Um, and she said, okay, well, what would you like to do? I was like, well, you do have this extra little mobile room in your clinic. Um, do you use that for anything? She's like, no. So what sh- we ended up doing was setting up where she would do a kind of an initial screening almost, and then she would just tell them to go. Um, see us in the, across the, across the, you know, or down the the mobile testing clinic that she, or the mobile exam room that she had. Um, and from there, you know, then nobody had to be seen doing it. Nobody knew what was going on. They just knew that some people were going to this room, some people weren't, and we were able to provide. And then you get a much more frank, honest conversation with, uh, with the client, which is definitely more, um, makes it, that information they're providing you makes you enables you to be able to have a conversation that's more pertinent to them um, and their situation and what they're going through and what their concerns are, um, and <clears throat> it's surprising because the first time we went down there, we only had maybe two tests. The next time we went, it was close to closer to fifty, because of this new system that we were that we were working through um, with the help and uh, and assistance of Doctor Ford. So.
1: Thank you for sharing that, um, and just shows how you're able to like adjust um, and be flexible right. to meet the needs of the community.
2: You have to be, um, particularly in this, this line of work with uh, particularly with HIV. I mean, I think all lots of different diseases have different stigmas attached to them, but I don't think uh, anything quite like HIV that I can think of, where you know all of a sudden people start assuming uh you know your your what what's going on with gender, what's going on with your sexuality, what's going on with your relationship with Jesus Christ. I mean, there's all sorts of things people start throwing in there when they when they think that you're you have anything to be worried about with with HIV. So there's a lot of people that have to be worried about that so,
0: so Neil, I've been doing uh this work in HIV now for almost twenty years and I've met quite a few, cis white gay men and they're doing amazing work uh but I and I only met you once but you came across to me as someone who is very much aware of his privilege and you seem to um take a step back in spaces and allow other people to kind of um their are voices and their presence to come forward. I'm wondering where that came from. Is that something that you do uh, consciously? Uh, because it certainly was evident to me.
2: So uh, there's definitely a kind of a, an, of intentionality with it for sure. Um, I would say for me, it it took, uh, you know, somebody that's grown up in the South once again, and yeah, as a It takes a lot of a lot of work. It took a lot of me really trying to understand where other people were coming from. You know, if I'm going to go back all the way and try to show my kind of, if you will, say like evolution, uh, for lack of a better word, or to uh, yeah. <laughs> well, I guess Barack Obama said that too. Okay, uh, so I, I, I guess where it it just took a lot. Uh, of educating myself took a lot of reading took a lot of my friends who are willing to have those conversations with me where I could you know even explain so I don't really understand what people mean by this but then it's also the fact that I think just being gay growing up down here um, gives you kind of an expanded empathy in a way um, where yes I am white and I am a male um, but you know it's I had to deal with being, you know, openly gay at a very young age. I came out when I was 13 years old. Um, <clears throat> and when I came out, I remember being ostracized and put aside. And all of a sudden people were starting to put their their stuff on me you know, or kind of what they thought about this on me. Um, and I remember thinking that that was probably where my expanded empathy came from, and particularly for other marginalized people. So then, uh, you know, moving on from there it was understanding that um, understanding it it was just a lot of listening. I mean, that's, that's really what I can say. I have really great friends uh, who, who are black, who have discussed, you know, the predicament with me. Um, But it just took me kind of, and I'm somebody that, you know, if I come in to a conversation um, and I have some ideas about how it goes and then, uh, but I get, Uh, evidence and a good argument that makes me rethink where I was coming from initially, I'm going to listen to that, take it, and then that's going to reframe how I think about this issue in in the future. And I think um, I have to say that I have a lot of great friends. Um, I also went to a university here in Birmingham at UAB uh, and took a lot of politics and African politics and African-American politics and African-American classes here so, I had a lot, a uh, pretty robust kind of academic understanding um, of uh, those issues, too, um, in a way that I, I wouldn't have had I not gone to school and not done those classes uh, here. At the University of Alabama Birmingham, which is a very diverse school, and it's not just diverse; it's diverse like everyone hangs out too. It's not just diverse, but segregated. Diverse and very. Um, I just never been anywhere else uh, that's quite like it.
0: Um, yeah, I appreciate you you sharing that. You know, my my experience in this work has come full circle because when I first started. It was all about um, making sure that our spaces were as diverse as they could be and to make sure that the carrier of certain messages had, you know, some sort of relationship with the community that that they were trying to reach. And so in my case, I'm a Black gay man from Louisiana. And so I was, you know, considered to be the perfect uh, messenger for that particular community. And in the last year, one of the things that I've just kind of realized in my own you know, personal life is that, you know, if we really want to deconstruct white supremacy just to use one example, then it's really incumbent upon white people to do that. You know, it's not, that's not really the work of people of color. And I think you can take that same example and, and apply it to other things. And I feel like, you know, at least in my limited kind of experience with you, you seem to kind of get that, you know, okay, I'm in, I'm navigating these spaces where a lot of the work may or may not necessarily apply to me, but that, you know, I have a role to play here. And I think that is so important. And I don't think that it's an insignificant thing. Like, um, I think that Nicole and I, and you might, might, you know, that empathetic and being and showing empathy to others is probably something that we do a lot, but I feel like it's not talked about enough.
2: I mean, yeah, I I could see that.
0: I wanted to, Nicole, it looks like you want to say something.
1: I mean, I was just going to say that empathy and compassion are definitely not topics that are discussed much these days, you know, but they are just so important and really such a center to the work that we're doing.
0: I could not agree more. So, Neil, we did want to talk to you a little bit about public uh, service and public health because you're the perfect person to talk about this. Um, <laughs> and when I was uh, reading up on you for this uh, podcast, I discovered that you were in the military, you were in the Marine Corps, and I wanted to know just a little bit about how that shaped kind of like your decision to to go into to seek public office and your decision to kind of commit so much of your your career to public health.
2: Well, so there's a couple of things I think with, particularly with, um, with public health and my, and, and, they all kind of come together. The whole I thing is that everything comes together here with public health when I'm trying to address systemic and structural barriers to my clients and keep noticing that they keep having, um, roadblocks and, and obstacles that are kind of thrown in their way, um, And for me, you know, part of what I said when I was running for office was that Marines don't leave anyone behind. Like we can have progress, you know. uh, Alabama has a uh, had before COVID uh, a record low unemployment, but our poverty rate was still, you know, relatively uh, stagnant, plateaued, hadn't moved much. So we knew that something quite wasn't quite right there. Um, And I also knew in my immediate vicinity here in Birmingham that there's a lot of poverty. There's a lot of people who with untreated mental health issues, a lot of homelessness, and a lot of people with uh, untreated substance abuse issues. Um, So part of why I wanted to run and part of where the Marine Corps came in was definitely that, like, um, don't want to leave anyone behind. (sighs) Now, conversely, I would say that the Marine Corps um, is a very conservative institution. And it is an institution where I had to navigate and be in the closet at the same time under Don't Ask, Don't Tell, even though I was in a relationship with another Marine at this time, too. Long story there. But the, the thing is that I, you know, had to learn and get along with people who did not think like me. Um, I was a, a big old liberal and I was unapologetic I and I wouldn't talk about uh, my liberal point of view on, on certain things. And, you know, it would it sometimes solicit a strong reaction back. Sometimes it would solicit a, oh, well, let's talk about this more. But the whole idea was that I also got in a situation where I can understand uh, conservative people a little bit better. Um, some of those folks I might not have much of a relationship with. Um, or much in common with when it comes to uh, our, you know, how we see the, the role of government and, um, and, uh, and that kind of thing. But it, it, it allowed me the opportunity to be able to live with, know, and appreciate these people um, on their own terms. Even if I thought they were dead wrong, it was still that, well, I still have to, to live with you. I still have to work with you. Um, and you're my brother or my sister, and I'm still going to love you. You know, it doesn't matter. Um, so that was some p- important lessons that I, that I brought from the Marine Corps from there. Um, and then of course, with everything like, you know, leadership, you know, setting the example, uh, you know, not asking anybody to do anything you would be, you wouldn't yourself be willing to do. <laughs> I remember this one time I was helping during the campaign, you know, we had to put up all these big signs and we could, you know, I had hired somebody to construct them, you know, while they work, but then I went out there and met them and then help them put it up. And they were like, well, what's your name? I was like, Neil. <laughs> like Neil, he was like, Neil Rafferty, that's my name right there. You know, I called this one. they're like, wait, the candidates out here help us put these things up? <laughs> like, well, yeah, man, I mean, I'm, like I said, I'm not going to ask you to do something uh, that, that I'm not willing to do myself. Um, yeah, I was super busy. I didn't put them all up, but, you know, I wanted to be out there and put some of them up, you know, at least to see how it was. If I saw one that was down or whatever I knew how to put it back up and all that kind of stuff too. So I mean there's a lot of other reasons why you're doing it, but the main one was to show that no, I'm not afraid to, to come out here with you and, and work with you and get my hands dirty with you and 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 do and do the do this same work. so
0: And you're in your first term, correct?
2: I am yes. in Alabama we are we have four year terms. so
0: four- year um, terms
2: four year terms for the whole state government,
0: And what do we need to know about District 54, not Studio 54, District 54?
2: (laughs) Well, it's funny. That will probably be one of my, uh, it'll probably be a campaign party that was was discussed about like a a fundraiser calling it Studio 54. So, Um, but no, so this district is uh, largely, most districts are spread out among different municipalities, different counties. We have, you know, some of my rural colleagues represent five or six different, different counties themselves because they're just so spread out. But here I probably have one of the most densely populated districts in the state. Um, my district is largely just, um, Birmingham, um, and Birmingham proper. There's a little bit of a suburb really close to us called Irondale. And I have a little bit of that area too. Um, so but district 54 is very diverse. Um, it has a lot of, uh, a lot of people from all over here. Um, it's it's a majority minority district. So it's about 60 to 65% African-American or black. Um, it has a, uh, large population of Democrats of white and black Democrats that live here, um, or white, black progressives, um, and people that, that, you know, and it has some of the wealthiest areas in the Birmingham area, has some of the poorest areas in the Birmingham. Um, so it's very interesting with that. The good thing is that, you know, largely the, a lot of the rich people in my district are like, yes, fight for them. You know, those are the ones that really need it. It's that kind of attitude we have uh, here in, in District 54, um, a kind of solidarity almost. Um, there is a large LGBTQ population that, that calls this place home. Um, Calls to 54 home, um, and let's say there's also a lot of medical professionals. Um, so we have a lot of people, a lot of teachers, a lot of medical professionals, and then we I think we have the most nonprofit employees or nonprofit directors uh, per capita of any other district in the in the state too. We have a lot of socially, environmentally, economically conscious people that that live in this district. Which is why it's a a true honor to represent it because um, I can just be as you know. Some people have to tiptoe around some of the progressive issues, and I can just I don't have to tiptoe around nothing in in this in this uh in this district.
1: (sighs) The way that you're painting Birmingham, you know, not when you were talking about UAB, I was thinking how you could be you know an ad for UAB, Um, and then you talking about. Uh, District 54 is just it you know it's really incredible um, and you really do like paint it in such a beautiful way Um, so I'm glad that you're that district's representative because that's who you know I'd want for a representative.
2: Um, (laughs) I appreciate that I have to do it too.
1: Um you have mentioned this a little bit in our conversation so far, but I have a couple of questions. And the first one is, what do you love about the South? You've touched on some things about the South, but what do you love about the South?
2: I love uh our people and our rich use of language. Um, I think that, you know, wasn't gonna have an English degree, so pardon me, but it's I just think that we have a very colorful uh, storytelling tradition down here that does not exist elsewhere in the in the in the country. I think it's just very unique. Um, you know, when you study literature and American literature, there's often American literature, but then there is Southern literature, which is kind of its whole own animal in and of itself. Um, and I think that, you know, that literature really tries to capture the spirit of, of the people down here and all the different kind of folks that that call this place home and have called it home for a long time. Um, but there's, you know, tremendous hospitality. There is uh, uh, a mutual respect. There is um, delicious food. There is, you know, I, and just some of the, the best people you'll ever meet in your life um, that call this place home. And you know it's not perfect. Uh, but, I mean, it's not even close. We certainly have a lot to work on. Um, but I think that the that for the mo- I mean, it, it's definitely worth it's definitely worth fighting for, and it's definitely worth doing that work on. So,
1: so you already knew what my follow up question would be, and that is what <laughs> What do you want to see for the South?
2: I want to see a South that realizes its own potential and that does not um get bogged down in the history but you know kind of um like i said owns it and then you know is leading the way uh leading the country uh and how to uh have that reconcile of that that question of uh, the question of race um i think uh was it wb debose du- that said that, that that this would be the most uh race would be the most um prominent question or prominent issue of the 20th century or was that maybe I'm making that up but I but you know what I'm talking about it's a yeah. good quote <laughs> it's a good quote right but but here we are in the 21st century and which I think we're still seeing that conversation um finally uh take front stage and center um and I think that that's really important as well and I think uh that the south can Um, and hopefully will someday lead the way in in that conversation and those changes.
1: Neil, thank you so much for not only, you know, sharing your truth about what you love about the South, but what you want to see for the South, and just really being such a joy to speak to today. Um, We really appreciate you coming and speaking with us on the Southern Steep.
2: My pleasure. Thank y'all. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Good to see everyone again, Nicole and Isaiah. Absolutely. So good um, to see you. Hopefully we'll get to see each other soon, sooner than later. I need uh, to come
1: to Birmingham.
2: Come on down. We'll take you.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to come post the COVID, but I'm excited to to see you in Birmingham. It'll be beautiful.
2: Hopefully. Let's do it.
1: Let's do good it. Good to see
0: you, Neil. Thanks so much for being here.
2: You too. Thanks, everybody.
1: We appreciate it. Thanks.
0: All right. So for this episode's edition of Southern Charm, I wanted to highlight the Southern AIDS Coalition, also known as SAC. The mission of the Southern AIDS Coalition is to end the HIV epidemic and other health disparities in the South. SAC is a nonpartisan coalition of government, community and business organizations and leaders working to prevent new HIV transmissions and build a healthier South for people living with HIV and those at high risk for HIV transmission. SAC does this work through public health advocacy, capacity building assistance and education, leadership development, and resiliency building for people living with HIV and AIDS. The organization also works uh, to accomplish its mission through research and evaluation, addressing stigma, and through strategic grant making. So Nicole, I really wanted to highlight SAC because, you know, they are a close partner with NASDAQ. and we've been working with them for many years on our capacity building assistance project and so a lot of the work that we're doing whether it be on condom distribution whether it be on on Gabin's health equity they have been been true partners in that work but also the organization is really focusing um here uh, in the last few months on building stronger relationships with uh, health departments and their new director of health biz, uh, their new director of health department initiatives, excuse me, is Darnell Barrington, and he is a alumni for NASDAQ's Minority Leadership Program at MLP. And so um, as one of the facilitators of MLP, I got to know Darnell really well. I was really excited that he got uh, hired on at SAC. They're just they're a great organization. They are headquartered in Birmingham. And I thought, you know, we're going to have Neil on to talk about BAO. And so it just made sense to kind of highlight the the, the Southern AIDS Coalition as well as a, as a really true Southern charm.
1: Well, I'm glad that you mentioned that they're based out of Birmingham because when you shared that this was going to be that SAC was going to be our Southern charm. I just thought, how, how perfect. We're talking to Neil in Birmingham, and we've got SAC from Birmingham. Um, but, I mean, we know that they have such a large impact across the South, not just in Birmingham,
0: yeah, I'm glad you said that because you know, that would be the point that we want to make is that, you know, SAC works across the entire southern region um and and they're doing, you know, amazing work uh in response to to COVID-19 in response to to prep and, and so many other things. And so that's absolutely true. And for folks that that want to learn more about them, their website is southernaidscoalition.org. That's southernaidscoalition.org so you can learn more about SAC and and, the, and their partnership with nested um so nicole we've reached the end of our first episode together like we recorded with with the other wow. hosts. how did you feel about it
1: well you know this has been the longest podcast i've recorded a date and so i'm thinking it really has to do with the isaiah nicole factor um it's been a good time
0: but did it feel long to you like i i felt like you know I could see, obviously, I ha- have the clock right in front of me. I can see that we we went nearly just maybe an hour or right about an hour now. But I felt like the conversation was good.
1: I It wasn't forced. I think it went well.
0: I think um, it went well, too.
1: I would host again with you.
0: <laughs> I'm sorry. I was on mute. Do you really have a choice?
1: <laughs> There's always a choice. But, no, I, I'm gladly choosing this one.
0: All right. Well, we hope that all of you listeners enjoyed (laughs) and that you will continue to listen to our our ramblings on on Southern Steve. I'm Isaiah Webster.
1: I'm Nicole Elanoff.
0: Thanks for listening.